When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This 710 podcast is brought to you by Francis Coppola's Diamond Collection Wines. Coppola's Diamond Collection offers the perfect wines to celebrate both big and small occasions this summer. Claret Cabernet Sauvignon is the perfect pairing with juicy burgers. And Diamond Sparkling Prosecco goes great with friends at your next garden party. Enjoy your summer with Diamond Collection Wines. Francis Ford Coppola Winery, Sonoma, California. Please drink responsibly. Did you see this yesterday? I sent it to you. Oh yeah, that's right. You were the one that sent it. Oh, your Google phone didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's why you didn't. It. That's why you didn't know. You didn't. You weren't able to see the tweet that I sent you about this. I'll get it sleeper. tomorrow. <laughs> um, Dodgers playing. You text the, me in Mexico. That was a great <laughs> thing you sent me, man. Awesome. Dodgers playing the A's yesterday, and the organist last night plays the Viva Las Vegas. Obviously, playing the A's. A's will eventually end up in Vegas. Does this fall on the lines where then I would go yell at the organist saying, what the hell do you think think you're doing? That was my immediate- Are you having fun? I sent this to you. I said, are you okay with this tomfoolery, Sliwa? Because this is the exact same thing that you say you hate. What a classless organization. (laughs) Now the A's are going to come back and beat the Dodgers. Dieter Rule, the organist with the Dodgers, writing checks that all of a sudden the Dodgers players on the field have to cash- you know what it could be? Dieter, yeah, it's not like Dieter intern. has to do anything. You know what it could be? Do you think it has more to do with this? Where you root for a franchise that has not had success, and you feel like anything that happens, especially when you're running your mouth against a franchise that has had an incredible amount of success, you have this insecurity where it's like, why did you just... No, compliment them. Just compliment the whole time. Compliment the competition because that competition owns you. I think it has to do with the insecurity of your team. Like so you're I have saying the there's insecurity. a difference between the A's and the Dodgers, the Dodgers and the Padres? What? That's crazy. No, the insecurity, <laughs> insecurity of the Padres. Padres having insecurity, at least fans do, to the Dodgers because the Dodgers have dominated. You're like, don't wake up asleep. And, don't give them any extra motivation to whoop your ass. Because they whoop your ass pretty much all the time. It might be that insecurity. So is Dieter a bully or not? Is what? Dieter, the organist? The organist. Is he a bully or not? No, No, he's not. So you're cool with what Dieter did? Yeah, because he wasn't an intern, right? (laughs) Yeah, him I'm okay with. Dieter is, Him him I'm more okay with. Well, because they're punching down, obviously. That's why you think it's... um... Yeah, D- Dieter's the same guy who's you know all of a sudden put the Dodgers in a position where they have to cash in, they have to defend his <laughs> actions. He's got nothing to do with it. I think the Dodgers will be fine. <laughs> I think they'll be okay when the dust. So you're us. okay with bullies as long as they're the 800 pound gorilla. I think I'm more just you're pro bully. No, I think with 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 my <laughs> kind of pro bully with my team, it's just more an incredible insecurity. Right. So. If it's a team that has no reason to be insecure, you're cool with it. No, because I didn't like the Russell Westbrook with cold as ice that the Kings were doing on. Uh, at, at, so that's kind of the similar thing. But here's but, a here's a dominating franchise that is getting the right. So you don't like it. This is what we've seen: Padres, yep. Kings, 
you don't like it when weak people punch up, but you love it when dominant people punch down. You are pro-bully. Come on, man. I've been that's why you love Travis. A, I've been labeled as a pro-bully. No, that's not good. That's not a good label to have. I'm not labeling I'm you. I'm taking the evidence. I'm going to change, I'm gonna have to change my approach on it. I did not like what the organist for the Dodgers did. All right, the Travis and Sliwa Show has teamed up with Waba Grill to give away lunch for your office. Listen to them all during the Waba Grill Lunch Hour on 710 for the cue to call. And you could be the Waba Grill Workplace of the Week. That's tomorrow on 710 ESPN. Thanks to Waba Grill. Waba Grill, eat smart, be healthy. Um, do you see some of these quotes from uh, Steve Cohen? He's talking about, he was basically talking about trading Justin Verlander, trading Max Scherzer. Um, the Mets coming into the year were... You know, you look at their payroll, you look at how aggressive they were, you look at them making the postseason last year, some real, real competition in New York, competition in the sense that, hey, the Mets could be just as good as the Yankees. The Mets have just as good of a chance as making the playoffs and getting the World Series as the Yankees. Well, he goes out and he makes some pretty big trades here. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of a rebuilding factor. This is his reasoning. He says, when you look at the probabilities, what we are at, or what we were at, 15% to make the postseason, and other teams were getting better, so you have to take the odds down from that. So if you're going to have a 12% chance of getting into the playoffs, those are pretty crummy odds. I've said this before. Hope it's not a strategy. I want sustainability. The Angels were in a very similar spot. The Angels, percentage-wise, was around that, from what I saw, around that 15%, like something along those lines. I know kind of give or take, but... You got two franchises that have pretty much the same odds to make the postseason. One decides, I'm going to become a buyer, and I'm going to do everything I can to possibly put my team in a position to compete. The other one says, I'm not 12 to 15% odds. What are we doing here? I got too many teams. I got to pass. I'm going to go ahead and just punt on this season and build uh, moving forward. You look at two strategies completely different. I like, I actually kind of like Steve Cohen, how honest he's been in these conversations. I don't think he comes off as arrogant. I don't think he comes off as annoying. I think he comes off as incredibly honest. Um, it's interesting the two strategies both franchises take, and we know why the Angels took their strategy. And I don't know how much this would change for Steve Cohen if Shohei Otani was representing his franchise, what he would do in that situation. Or, I mean, just flip it around. If Verla Verlander is 40. I believe, and Max Scherzer's 39. If those guys were both 30, he's not. they're not being dealt. Like, no matter what, I'm not saying that Steve Cohen would have had the Mets be buyers, but he would not have been dealing those guys in their primes in a, in a subpar year. I mean, Francisco Lindor didn't get dealt. Like, the Mets kept him, yeah. regardless of what kept they're seeing. Pete Alonso. Right. Like, they, they, they kept the guys who are still young enough to have a future with this team. But Scherzer and Verlander, because like let's say they've decided internally, the Mets, that it might require another year or so to get themselves really back on track. Verlander and Scherzer, they don't have the luxury of waiting. And frankly, the Mets don't have the luxury of counting on those guys staying dominant at their age. Like They are both on borrowed time. So a lot of this is just the context of who got dealt. Like, again... Francisco Lindor stayed in New York. Why? He's 29. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, I'm going to read off another quote here, which I think plays into what you said. You've got to remember Max and Justin, they're at different points in their career. Max asked me straight, are you going to be all in at free agency next year? 
And I couldn't give him that promise. I couldn't give him that assurance. And he wants to win now. If he felt like our odds were smaller and he originally thought, uh, then he originally thought, then he made his decision and Justin did too. And I respect that. They're good guys and they're at different points in their career. Um, I love the honesty too. Yeah. Like I feel like he's not dodging anything. This was, do you remember this maybe about a month ago or so? He basically called his own press conference and stood in front of the New York media and just said, look, it's not over. We we're, we're still, it's not the position that we want to be in. We'll approach this however we approach it. You don't really see that too often as well from a lot of these owners to grab a microphone. It sounds like he's opening up whatever was happening behind the scenes. Uh, he was very open about well, it. Well, baseball is a weird sport compared to some other ones in that they don't, they don't have the same rules with tampering when it comes to just talking about players that you were targeting or talking about, yeah, we were looking to bring in this specific guy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't do that stuff in the NBA. Like, they get really sensitive about it. You can get fined. Baseball, they're really open about, yeah, we thought we had a deal with player X. You know, we, everyone's been on the record now about Eduardo Rodriguez not wanting to be a Dodger, but also, yeah, this deal was in place. Like, we targeted this guy. You can, you can do that in baseball. It's actually one of the things that I think is interesting about baseball. You sometimes get a a more unfiltered perspective about the goings-on behind the scenes that you don't get in other sports. There is, I, I, this is what I'll go back to, and we're talking about the strategy, the Angels between the Mets, and the Angels kind of having similar percentages of making the playoffs. What the Angels did was exclusive because of Shohei. That's it. Yeah. So, and, and if you're Steve Cohen and you have Shohei Otani and you're approaching the trade deadline, um, if you didn't trade him a year earlier, and if you were within a few games of potentially making the playoffs, and this was your only pitch that you had or to you're try also to just, keep him. I was going to say, you're trying to keep him beyond even, beyond even make the playoffs. You're trying to keep this guy. Yeah, but that not that – don't those go together? They do go together, but I'm saying goal one. Let's just say you knew that just imp- – just making those moves mm-hmm. would be enough to convince Otani of your seriousness, regardless of whether you make the playoffs or not. Like he just wants to be convinced this organization is serious. Mm-hmm. You'd make those moves just for that. Yeah, and 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 I I think that's why if a lot of people that gave Artie Moreno, and I'm not here to try to defend Artie Moreno, I think it's clear that the Angels have not had a plan for a he while. He feels like a Google Pixel user. Does he feel like one? Yes, he does. I think so. Interesting. Yes, he does. But I, I'm, it's not to defend him. It's more, I, I'm okay with one squad saying, I got a 15% chance of making the playoffs. I'm going to take my chances. And another squad saying, you got to abort mission. Well, again, it, look at the people that got dealt. Like if all of a sudden the Mets went into a complete fire sale mode and like yeah. they were moving everybody, I think a lot of people are like, wait, what? hold on, what? Like, what are you doing? But, but just think, think about, think about, when did these guys sign? Eight months ago? Yeah. Something like that. It's just, Look, it, it's, it's just, it, and they joined right, what this, they thought was a contender. This, like, I'm sure those guys didn't want to be around for this. The stage of their career is the difference. Yeah. I mean, both of them on, you know, shorter term deals. They waived no trade clauses to get moved. They didn't want to be a part of anything that didn't feel like extreme win now mode. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's, I, I think ultimately, um, a lot of franchises had decisions to make. Mets was one of the bigger teams coming into the year. Padres obviously made a decision to say, no, we're going to take our chances here. Angels did the same thing. Uh, so now that the kind of dust is settling on that. 
So you brought up something yesterday from Dylan Hernandez at the LA Times, and um, we spent a little time talking about what exactly is the strategy for the Dodgers and how much, you know, how much criticism can you put on Andrew Friedman in the front office of how the trade deadline worked? I'm going to read to you Dylan Han- the the title of Dylan Hernandez's piece in the LA Times, and Dylan's going to join us here in just a few minutes. It says, the Dodgers trade deadline whiff is no surprise. They aren't chasing a World Series. When we come back, Let's spend a little time. I want Dylan Hernandez to kind of explain exactly from his perspective what he thinks the Dodgers. He's not talking about just the trade deadline. He's talking about walking into the season. He's talking about um, the potential of just saving dollars for potentially grabbing Shohei Otani. So we'll do all that coming up next. Stay right here. Travis and Sleeve Show, 710 ESPN. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I've got a factor cap coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I want to welcome in uh, Dylan Hernandez with the LA Times. Got to call him out right now. The Dodgers trade deadline whiff is no surprise. They aren't chasing a World Series. Dylan, uh, first off, appreciate you uh, joining the Travis and Sliwa show. Hope you're having a good summer. Um, can, can you just... Uh, Andy and I have both got a chance to read the article. Love for you to kind of expand a little bit on your thoughts when you say the the Dodgers aren't chasing a World Series. Can you explain a little bit of what uh, what your thought process is there? Uh, that that headline might have been a little bit aggressive, but you know, uh, yeah, it's too late now, see, Dylan. You know, going, <laughs> well, I, I didn't write the headline. You know, I just said you know, obviously, and I think kind of the nut graph in that in that column is right. The you know, obviously, no team that's spending $240 million on the payroll is punting on a season. That said, it never, you never really got the feeling that these Dodgers were like really going for it this year. You know, and this goes back to the winter, uh, you know, prices in the free agent markets, it's kind of skyrocketed and they sat out. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that was because of the Trevor Bauer situation, you know, being unresolved and them not being sure on how much, you know, they were going to be on the hook for that contract. Uh, you know, was it because, you know, they've maybe just kind of decided, you know what, after all these years, we're going to kind of pull back on payroll and kind of go the homegrown route, uh, which would be kind of an odd selection given that, like, you know, they don't have kind of the Corey Seager caliber prospects coming up, right? I mean, if, you know, and if they do, they're at still kind of at the lower rungs of the minor leagues. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone was expecting Miguel Vargas to come in and light the world on fire. Uh, you know, or are they, uh, you know, maybe saving money really to make a run at Shohei Otani this winter? Um, you know, whatever the case, it just you never really got the feeling, okay, they really went for it, you know? And again, I think in some ways, um, you know, a lot of the kind of marginal upgrades that they made over the winter really went their way. You know, and uh, my colleague Bill Plasky uh, wrote a column the day before 
kind of saying, you know, in, in some ways it's kind of waste some of Friedman's best work, you know, in terms of, you know, getting a guy like J.D. Martinez, finding, you know, uh, a contributor and somebody like Jason Hayward, who, who was basically believed to be finished. Uh, you know, and again, they kind of had some pieces where you kind of felt, okay, you know what, you know, maybe they add a bat, maybe they add, you know, again, a high-end pitcher and, and Rios and Kershaw come back, maybe they can make a run at this thing. And they really did it, right? They kind of, again, kind of settled for what they're used to doing, which is, or not what they're used to doing, but, you know, kind of those, again, those marginal upgrades, you know, and I think that, you know, what's a little bit uh, kind of interesting here is, you know, obviously the last two years, uh, it's become the, the trade market has become more of a seller's market, I think, right? The prices have kind of gone up uh, in part, I think, because of the expanded playoffs, more teams are still in it, right? So, you know, and, and, you know, also because I think, you know, a lot of teams kind of wait a little bit longer now to see if they're going to be buyers or sellers. You know, really, the, the market really wasn't defined even, uh, I would say, completely until like the last few days going into this thing. So things are going to cost more now. You know, and the way the Dodgers have kind of operated, and you could argue, obviously, that this is kind of their formula for long-term successes, you know, they're determined to win every single deal. You know, I mean, you can say that, you know, obviously, they, you know, when they traded for Darvish at the deadline, when they traded for Manny Machado, that you know the, the deal for Scherzer and Trey Turner, uh, all those they didn't have to give up all that much, you know, um, and that's really I think kind of been the the you know what's determined whether or not they make a move. Uh, even the, the big contracts that they gave they've given out, you know, to Freddie Freeman, to Mookie Betts, uh, you know, uh, Freeman. I would argue that was kind of a right. The, the market kind of collapsed on him. You know, he wanted to go back to Atlanta, didn't work out there. Dodgers were able to swoop, you know, kind of swoop in. Get them at a good price, uh, you know. Fred, uh, Mookie Betts, when you include all the deferrals and stuff, uh, again, I think that's a fairly team-friendly contract, as, as big as that contract is. And so, you know, they have to. They always want to kind of do things on. They want to win every single deal. Uh, and you know, I think I'm not sure now that that strategy is necessarily going to work because, again, the, the, the trade market is different. And you know, their strategy was always, hey, the free agent market becomes too expensive. We'll just wait until July to make a deal. Uh, well, you know, they, they sat out uh, the winner and they basically kind of sat out this trade deadline. And so, you know, again, it, given that you have two guys in, in Freeman and Betts who are simultaneously having MVP caliber seasons, like in their 30s, right? These guys are not going to get any younger. Um, maybe they have another year or two like this together, but this is kind of a closing window, you know? And so on one hand, I, I do think that a very strong argument could be made. And that's obviously my contention that, hey, you get an opportunity like this, you go for it, right? And sometimes you have to lose the deal to kind of win that championship. And, um, you know, I mean, we saw with the Mets, or I'm sorry, the Cubs years ago, right, when they gave up Labor Torres to get Araldis Chapman, who turned out to be kind of that last piece that they needed to win that World Series. Uh, they went ahead and they made that deal. You know, and don't think for a minute that Theo Epstein didn't know that Glaber Torres was a good player, right? I mean, this was, a, you know, this was a, a top prospect, uh, you know, who was obviously going to give you, you know, if you have six years of control of this guy, uh, it's going to help you out in the future. But, you know, sometimes, again, you kind of have to push your chips all in. Uh, the Dodgers definitely didn't do that at this deadline. Okay, d- there's a lot in there, Dylan, that I, wa- I want to try to unpack. But one thing in particular, this concept of winning the trade, I think is really interesting in your piece this jumped out at me when you were talking about this and you said it being a seller's market and not being an, op, uh, an environment they like to operate, quote, Friedman's image-sensitive nature demands they win each and every trade. Do you get a sense of how they define winning it? Like, are you talking about, like, it works for them? Are you talking about the way the media reacts and, like, grades the trades, like an ESPN report card? Like, how are they judging winning it? 
Yeah, I think that they're, you know, they probably have like valuations on different things. You know, this is worth this much, you know, uh, this many years of control on this caliber of players worth this much. And I just kind of think that they want to, I think they really want to feel like that they got that better of that particular deal, regardless of kind of the, you know, the, the bigger picture implications, right? I mean, again, I think, you know, again, going back to that, that Glaber Torres for Chapman deal, you know, again, you could, you could argue, right? I mean, the Cubs made a bad deal. Like, if you just looked at that trade alone, right, was it really worth, you know, um, two months of, right, of this closer for six years of control of this other, of a top prospect? Um, you know, again, I don't think the Dodgers make that deal, right? Even, you know, if it could have pushed them, right? Because I think their argument would be, well, you, you know, just because you get that big guy doesn't guarantee anything. Right. And, um, well, but, but nothing, you know, now, I mean, nothing though, Dylan correct. is truly I, I, guaranteed. Like, it seems yeah, like, again, they're, I, it seems I, like they're defining winning. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it seems like they're defining mm-hmm. winning the trade more by sort of the spreadsheet and the analytics than the actual impact on the but field. But isn't that already a criticism of the Dodgers? Watch them in the playoffs. Everything does spe- seem like a spreadsheet. It doesn't seem like everything seems analytical rather than a little bit of a feel for it. Or, a, hey, I'm going to take a chance I mean, here. Y- the win, I would think, is should at least be somewhat evaluated by does this help make us a better team for the time we're trying to compete? Yes, and I think right, it's kind of funny, right? It kind of sounds right now like I'm defending them, right? No, you don't. Uh, was, <laughs> you don't at all. My, well, okay. Well, my contention, right, was that they should go for it. You know, that you kind of need to go for things at some point because if, yeah, sure, you know, trading for, you know, Verlander, uh, Dylan Cease, it, that wouldn't have guaranteed them a World Series, sure. But you know what? Like, not trading for them, to me, almost guarantees that they're not going to get to that point. I just don't think they have the horses right now, you know? And so they're kind of doing more like the lottery ticket thing where it's like, hey, let's just get into the playoffs every year. You know, there can be upsets in baseball. And basically, if we keep getting in every year, at some point, we're going to have to kind of break through. Uh, what we've seen so far, though, right, is that the only time they've broken through was kind of in that shortened season. And I don't want to diminish that championship in any way, but it was played under different circumstances. Uh, you know, and I, I think that now... You know, maybe they've been at this long enough. It just hasn't worked out really for them. I think on a, on a whole, you know, it's given the fact that they've been like the favorites to win the World Series, like pretty much every, you know, or at least like one of the favorites every year for the last like decade. The fact that they don't have a ton to show for it, I think, again, is a reflection of kind of that mentality, right? They don't really, they want to make sure that they're still okay tomorrow, right? That they, they never want to be in a position where they're kind of pushing all in. And I would argue, Again, that sometimes you really have to do that if you if you really do want to win. Dylan Hernandez taking some time to join us here on the Travis and Sliwa show. Uh, Dylan, of course, from the LA Times. Um, when when you look at the standings and you see the Dodgers there on top of the NL West. Now, granted, Giants just two and a half games back. They're sixteen games over five hundred. We know the issues that they have with their arms. We know the the players that they have. Julio's just going to have to be better. Gonsolin's just going to have to be more consistent. We'll see Kershaw when he comes back. Um, h- how do you feel about just? I, I guess the best way that I can put it, their chances the rest of this season. How do you feel? I mean, you obviously feel a certain way about. Um, opportunities that maybe they didn't try to take advantage of or go all in in a moment or take a risk and say, all right, maybe this long term doesn't work out, but it gives us a better chance to win this year. Dylan, how do you feel? How do you feel about the rest of this season? Oh, I think they're going to win the, the division. You know, I think that's going to happen pretty handily. They just have depth that other teams don't have. You know, 
Um, and they're, you know, even right. Um, Kike Hernandez might've been like the worst position player in baseball, whatever. They'll, they'll find a way to fix them. Probably, you know, they, they generally, a lot of these things work out for them. And if, you know, if, if he doesn't work out, then Rosario, I'm sure will like something's going to, you know, they, they have the depth again to withstand the schedule. Right. And, you know, teams are going to see, right. The fatigue is going to really start to kind of set in. And I think that a lot of these teams are going to start dropping off. Um, you know, then again, you're right. Again, we look at like the Dodgers kind of recent history here. Regular season hasn't been the problem. The problems always comes in the playoffs. And, you know, again, they don't have kind of the horse at the top of the rotation right now. And we, you know, um, you know, I would have argued regardless, uh, you know, even with or without Verlander or Cease or, you know, that, that horse, Arias would have had to have come back and become Arias of old again. You know, Kershaw would have had to come back and stay healthy. Those, those were going to be prerequisites. I just kind of think that even if those guys do come back, again, they don't have a World Series rotation right now. Uh, you know, and their lineup still is pretty top-heavy, right? I mean, it, there's a pretty significant drop-off after, you know, say, J.D. Martinez. I think there's some automatic outs there at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, and, you know, again, we've seen kind of what happens when you have a lineup like that where right, we saw last, last October where, you know, it's pretty, you, pitch, you know, you pitch the top few guys kind of carefully, make sure they don't get on, you know, maybe Freddie Freeman gets to you, but, you know, if nobody behind him drives them in, uh, it's an offense that I think that can kind of be shut down. I wouldn't be surprised again, you know, if they end up putting a bunch of zeros up uh, offensively, you know, come October, I just, you know, firepower wise, can they compete with the Braves? It doesn't really look like it right now. Um, you know, and I, again, I think those types of games, you know, you have to really kind of like rely on like your high end talent. And, you know, they do have some high-end talent, right? And Betts and Freeman, those are two of the, you know, 10 best players in baseball right now. Um, I just think that they could have probably done a little bit more to kind of help them out, especially on the pitching side. Dylan, uh, really appreciate your time. Um, again, the article right now in the LA Times, he's got a great column, always puts out some great stuff in the LA Times. Uh, Dylan, appreciate the insight, brother. Thanks, Dylan. No, thank you so much. All right, that is uh, Dylan Hernandez right there. I can't believe Dylan thought, it sounded like he was defending them. Like, I promise you, it doesn't. <laughs> you don't sound at all like you're defending them. Well, I think it's funny because we were also critical, and in a way, he's complimenting the Dodgers for certain things that they have done, and at the same time saying, might want to change the strategy a little well, bit. I mean, on one hand, there's only so much you can bash a team that's winning its division. And you could argue even overachieving, mm -hmm. but the methodology that Dylan talked about, and, and I really liked how he broke down the idea of have to win the trade. Yeah, like and and how you define winning, winning the, the trade. trade yeah. It seems like a lot of it has to do with either perception or just sort of like the the wonky. But his example of the Cubs details. is a good example. Yes, his example of saying, "Look, we know long term this is not the right trade for our organization." However, right. We got a shot here it's, to win it, this whole thing. Well, here's the thing. Not all trades are executed for the exact same reason. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to win a deal or if you're trying to do a trade for a short-term impact, then the value is judged, at least to me, the win is judged by what was that short-term impact. Sure. Like that that's why you did it. Mm -hmm. You know, like the whole sensibility of the long-term like I, you know, that's that to me should be measured by is the guy we're bringing in on the short term is he that good? Mm -hmm. If he's that good and can make that good of a short term impact, that's where you judge it. Um, we got factor cap coming up next. We uh, talked a little bit, AK, yesterday about D'Angelo Russell at eleven forty five. Um, 
uh, you know, you, you actually went out of your way to defend D'Lo. And I actually feel like there was a lot more people defending D'Angelo Russell more than I thought. Are, are we is, – is D'Angelo Russell treated fairly by Los Angeles Lakers fans, media, and everything else? It felt, felt like, at least in the postseason, it was very easy to point the finger at him specifically. 11.45, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Factor Cap coming up next. Travis and Sliwa Show, 710 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey guys, how you feeling? What's up? I've only mentioned uh, her how many times, Jorge? Six. Six times. Six times. I am seven away. (laughs) And we have our snake draft coming up at noon. Our snake draft today is going to be, drumroll, female artists. Okay, so we're going to do female artist snake draft. So, uh, you know, we already know what, you know, my likely number one overall pick is going to be, but. Assuming uh, she's available for it. Exactly. Assuming she's America. It's so horrible. You already know my number one. Uh, You may or may not know. I know. Emily will know. Emily will know. I already okay. told her what I, I think it you. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I don't know if you guys ever go on Facebook anymore, but I um, went on Facebook because I use Facebook Marketplace. But it was also giving me um, uh, like, oh, on this day and whatever, this is what you posted. So I was like, oh, I'm curious. So I look. This is from 13 years ago. I posted something that uh, is embarrassing, and I regret that I posted this at, at any point in time. But it's just a status, and it was just, Essentially talking about how excited I was to see my friend come over. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to reveal exactly what it said, but it was embarrassing. And I sent it to my friends. I'm like, why did I ever post this in my entire life? So you've been embarrassed by old Facebook posts of yours. Alan, Fedra Cap. Um, man, I'm trying to think here. I think I'd probably be more embarrassed if somebody's like tagging you on something that you didn't post. I don't post all that much to begin with. Well, so this is like 13 is, years ago when you first started using Facebook. Like yeah. when people were posting, like, "Oh, excited to eat this cookie," you know, like that's <laughs> that's the stuff I'm talking about. I, I think I'm more cap on this. I don't think I've ever put. I, it's not something that I'm. I'm even back when Facebook, even when everyone was using Facebook, even when Facebook was just coming out and we were all over Facebook. I don't think I was putting up anything that I regretted, so I go cap on this. Yeah, one. it's cap for me too, in the sense that there's nothing that embarrasses me. But sometimes those flashback posts, like you're talking about, Emily, they'll come up, and I'll look at them and be like, "Well, I can see why this got no traction." <laughs> like, I, yeah, the, I, I should have probably, you know, test run this one or focus grouped it because I can see why it did not get a single comment or thumbs up or whatever. Kind of boring. And don't worry, this had a lot of comments back at my uh, post. I'll send it to you guys because I just don't want to say it. How old were you when you I was was 13 years ago? So, yeah, 14. So, uh, Jorge? A cap. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram. You never had it? I've never had anything. I don't, I, I'm not a social media person like that. I don't like sharing what I'm doing. That's none of your business, basically. So I have Twitter. I just retweet, post, whatever, you know, 
for sports stuff. I, I, no Facebook, no nothing. I'm You're a, not missing out on yeah. anything. I am a literally. seriously infrequent Facebook poster at this point. Oh, at this Fa- point, not a chance. Facebook, I don't, I don't use at all. Instagram, um, I don't even have it on my phone right now. My, I very rarely use Instagram. My, I have an Instagram account. I never do anything with it. I believe my last post was something like 2013 or 2014. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> it was, you, don't, you don't that do that one got really? traction. Post. Yeah, that one I liked. A carousel, you know. Anyway, how often, um, sorry. How often do you guys update your pictures though on your thing? On your Twitter, Twitter, or whatever you can I, on I, our X. I, exactly. <laughs> I think I literally have updated it one or two times in the entire time that I've had it. Mm-hmm. So they want same pictures, same, same one. background. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't even touch it. All right, so this is basically what we did yesterday, but I'm going to play a piece of sound for you. Uh, and then I'm, my statement is, you know who this is. All right, so play it, uh, Jorge, please. Actually, yes, you can guess because Jorge knows who this is. Lonzo Ball. Okay. Alan, what is your guess? Mm. Okay, um, are we staying in the NBA category mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Play it one more time. Let me hear it again. Uh no. I did not beep it, so that's why I'm yeah. not going to play it again. Uh. So I, it's my fault that I. Okay, I'm just going to pick. I'm going to pick another rapper that I know has rapped. Uh, I'll go with Marvin Bagley. It is Steph Curry. He's accomplished his goal to be in a music <laughs> video, and it's Steph Curry singing. And you can look at it on your own time. <laughs> that's Steph Curry. Just retweet it. Hmm. I think we're okay. I think there's we get a certain amount of curse words a month. That I think we could play. I think you're okay to play. Well, Steph's adorable. Everyone loves him. Like it's okay if Steph is cursing on our air. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, the FCC <laughs> will never punish Steph. Okay, that's yeah, what we're telling FCC. Yeah. You're gonna get mad at Steph Curry. They're yeah, like, right, subway. Come on, yeah. baby <laughs> face. Come on, everyone loves Steph. <laughs> All right. So it is Martha Stewart's birthday today. So. Uh, you would love to get a, a glass of wine with Martha Stewart. She does have a, a wine uh, that's 21 Crimes because Snoop also has the wine. She has a wine, but it's a Chardonnay. Um, so you would want to get a glass of wine with Martha Stewart. Jorge, factor cap. Uh, cap. No, not interested. In you don't want to know about her story? She's besties with Snoop. Nah. She's I mean, that's been cool to prison. Enough. Like they have, they have commercials together with you know whatever they, they do. But nah, I'll pass on Martha Stewart and wine. Al? I think I'll go fact, and it's probably only to ask her about the stock trading and uh, the <laughs> construction and the inside trade. I think that is an interesting world. Nothing else that I think she's done, I can, I have any connection. That's more like I have a curiosity. What was the slammer like? Yeah, and I mean, like if uh, Snoop, <laughs> I'm asking you know, Martha Stewart what the slammer was like. Yeah, I want to have a, I want to have a glass of wine. With that her. is the thing I would most want to talk about too. Like, what was it like inside, both in terms of the setting, but also for somebody like you in particular, like. The stories of hanging out with Snoop, I feel How's like... How's the mac and cheese? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like the stories with Snoop, like in one way or another, we've heard them. You know what I mean? Like, I doubt she's going to tell me some story with she's Snoop. She's got juice on a bunch of different people, too. So I've heard her speak about stuff, and she has she keeps secrets, but there are some cool secrets about big people you get a couple know. glasses of wine in her hey, can you, hey, can you ask her how'd it. you go from home decor to like gangster <laughs> can you ask her that <laughs> i mean now all of a sudden you might be changing hey, your answer it sounds like you have some questions for her after three bottles of wine hey how'd you go gangster <laughs> hey, it tastes so hard <laughs> snoop <laughs> that's not dude man oh my god all right, oh so <laughs> you shut up. 
He's a homie. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the show. I ran that prison inside. <laughs> uh, so as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez was texted by several Dodgers who have been former teammates of his. And apparently crickets got back. No one. Eduardo did not respond to anybody uh, in regards to why he did or did not want to be a part of the Dodgers. So you take offense when someone ghosts you. Andy, Patrick Cap. Well, I mean, in this particular case, do we know if Eduardo Rodriguez is a Google Pixel guy? Because, I mean, it, <laughs> maybe the text may the, just, not, they may not have arrived at this point. Yeah, ghosting sucks. I, I, I don't like it in part because it can be rude, it can hurt feelings, but also it's cowardly. Like, it's really right. cowardly. Like, if you have that strong of feelings against somebody that you don't want to talk with them, just mm. tell them you don't want to talk with them. Especially like, when they have the red receipt on there. Mm, yeah, I know you read it. I know you did. At least reply. Yeah, ghosting's cowardly. Al, what do you think? Um, I'll go cap on this. I'm gonna give them a little bit. Look, this happens. You might get a text, and at the time, I'll use the show as an example. We're in the middle of a show, and somebody texts you. You have your phone off, or you have your you know phone on silent. What if you just genuinely forgot to text that? Well, that's not ghosting, back? though. Ghosting, they know they got it. Ghosting is an active. They're purposely not. Yes, ghosting is an active move. That is, that's different. Like if it's me to you, I'm like, hey, Al, you want to hang out this Tuesday? Nothing back. And then the next day, like we come to work tomorrow and you don't say anything about it, but you clearly have read it. Like that's, that's what ghosting is. That's jacked up. That's jacked up. The only thing is, if you're going to see the person, (laughs) you better, you should definitely text back. I think a lot of times when text backs don't happen, it's like, all right, I haven't talked to this person in a year, or I have no interest in talking to this person. Jorge? Uh, no, yeah, with Andy, this is like ghosting just sucks. Like, just at least respond. Take a second to. Well, be, like, particularly with people that you have like an actual relationship, relationship of with, sorts you know. with. You know, like, look, like have Brian I, hasn't texted you in how long? Yeah, but that's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But like, you know, I mean, look, there are people on, say, like Facebook we were talking about earlier. Yeah that I haven't spoken with in like eight or nine years that I wasn't that close. And then they reach out about yeah. an MLM. Okay, do I ghost them? Yeah, sure. But like, I don't feel like that's really a betrayal. No, or, that's but, different. Yeah, it's like, look, dude, we we, we don't have a relationship. That's not a close I don't one. need to re-spark it. But somebody that I actually had a relationship with of any type, yeah, it's cowardly. All right, so Rick Ross was at the Inter-Miami game last night and was interviewed by Apple TV+. And this is he was talking about how excited he was. He's a Miami resident. He's excited to see, uh, and like, there's an energy in the city. So this is what he had to say about um, the atmosphere. The energy. I'm hearing all the artists in Miami. I'm just, man, it's a, it's a special event. It's a special moment. Everybody in Miami, I suggest you come out and catch one of these games at the least one. It's that energy you want to be a part of, Rick. This is a part of the movement now. Same way we go to the Heat games, the Dolphin games. We right here in a Miami. All right. So you think MLS will ever be on the same level as the other top sports? So I, i.e., hockey, uh, baseball, football, mm. uh, basketball. So do you think that MLS will ever get to that level? Uh, Jorge, factor cap. Uh, cap. Uh, you start. You start to see a little more celebrities come out to the LAFC games, and I attend some of those games, and. Right now with Messi, the hype, I think it's just one of those like, oh, he's going to go once or twice, and that's it. They're going to forget about it. It's not the same vibe as when you go and see A-list celebrities at the Lakers game. It's not, it's never yeah. going to get there. I don't think so. Like you would see the game even without an A-list player coming to see yeah. it. You'd see a basketball game. Uh-huh. Al? I go cap on this too, but I will say that 
I just I just don't think the sport will compete with the other sports. Messi, I found myself yesterday when I'm looking at ESPN, it's like Messi with another two goals. I went and watched the highlights. I'm like, are you kidding me? This dude again? And I, I've listen, if you told me I could go, we we had this conversation maybe two weeks ago. You could go see any athlete right now. Messi's on a lot of people's list and he's here. He's in the MLS. Yep. I just don't have faith that there's enough people that like soccer in the United States of America that's all of a sudden going to help lift MLS to a different level. That's yeah, I think that's what it is. It's it's more about nationally. Like locally, if a messy type guy shows up in your city, he might create a sensation mm-hmm. in that city. But it doesn't feel that I could I could be wrong. It doesn't feel to me like the entire country is caught up in Messi being in Miami. It feels like Miami is caught up in Messi being and, in Miami. And soccer fans. Like, I'm, I'm not a – I'm a I'm a, as casual as it comes when it comes to soccer. Messi's in the States. Mm-hmm. Messi's about to come, you know, in, in what September. is it, a month. Yeah. He's coming to L.A. That everywhere he goes – It's a hot it, ticket. That's unbelievable. I mean, if you if I told you right now, hey, I got one ticket to go see Mahomes, one ticket to go see LeBron, one ticket to go see Messi, who are you picking? Oh, man, that's a tough me? ticket. I don't, it's, not even, it's not even, it's not even tough for me. I'm picking Messi, and it's not even – I have zero hesitation I'm picking Messi, and yeah, that's, but you, but that's my LeBron. least favorite sport. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing, though, that I think kind of underscores my point. Messi is like a global icon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a global icon – to create this type of buzz, if it really does exist in the States. Sure. How many of those dudes exist? Let's put it this way. If you took the 10th best player in the world of soccer and he was on Inter-Miami, nothing probably would change. Nobody cares. It took nope. Messi. Right, or like Beckham the, a decade ago yeah. when he joined, what was it, the Galaxy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that was a huge deal. But Beckham was like, not just a soccer icon, he was a celebrity. Yeah. And it took someone like him. Sure. Like, sure. They're so, having their moment, and and it's it's again it's but messy, I don't think it's sustainable, and it's, it's messy coming off of winning the World Cup, right? So a lot of that has to do with it as well. Um, are we being too harsh on D'Angelo Russell? We'll spend a little bit of time on that. We got our draft coming up, best female artists at noon. Um, we'll do all that in the uh, next fifteen minutes or so. Stay right here, Travis and Sleeva Show, seven ten ESPN. All right, ESPN LA and Hollywood Park Casino are giving 12 fantasy football commissioners the chance to win a fantasy football season experience, including the ultimate fantasy draft party for their ESPN fantasy football leagues and weekly prizes throughout the season. Register now at ESPNLA.com. Scroll for the Hollywood Park Casino logo, and we'll see you on Friday, August 18th at HPC Hollywood Park Casino. Eat, drink, and draft. Uh, Speaking of draft, we have our snake draft coming up at noon. Uh, This is – we know Taylor Swift's going to start her show um, I don't know if Emily knows, but she's going to play six shows here oh, really? in Los Angeles. So just kind of some information hmm. there. So we're going to draft our best female artists. Do we know the order yet? Yes. So okay. order is Jorge. Oh, done. Jorge gets number one. Yeah. Okay. And I've been trying to convince him about yeah. why choosing that person else. as number one is a bad idea. Okay. You know? okay, okay. Just trying to, to sell a little bit. And then it's going to be me as second pick. And oh, then uh, you, then Andy. Okay. Yeah. Take three. I think I'm going to get my... I feel pretty good about my list. I like my list. And got I don't another, know if anybody's going to take mine. Anyways. Got another fact about uh, Taylor here? Yes. So this song is a, a I song... I miss Taylor, by the way. Right. We I heard, do. Have we heard from Taylor, Taylor Smith? Have you texted him? Yeah. I texted him, but it was maybe about two weeks ago He or ghosted so. you. <laughs> <laughs> 
You responded. I got my. Oh, I got by my the way, one of the songs that I played yesterday, uh, "Wildest Dreams," Taylor Smith would sing it when he performs. So when I went to see him, he's like, "Oh, I this is my favorite Taylor Swift song," and he sings it acoustically himself. He changes like him to her, but uh, it's awesome. yeah, it's it's great. He I, does a really good. I wish I could have seen Taylor perform. I never did. He's great. He's awesome. I heard he was really. His really last good. show that he did that we were at. Um, yeah, I went to the last two. Yeah, he. It was so much different than the other show that we went to because it was like he was the center of the stage and everything was kind of um, he was singing the entire time. He's great. He really, really is incredible. Yeah, talented. I really wanted to try. And to he's see so him. low profile about all that, but he's got incredible talent. Have you heard from him in a while, Emily? You I saw him post on Instagram and stuff, but okay. no, but I haven't. I haven't texted have to him. Reach out. He yeah. texts me last week. He's like, "Hey, how you doing, Swifty?" I was like, "Hey, you text the wrong person." <laughs> he just had a laugh. Awkward. About it. Yeah. Um, okay, so yesterday we played um, some sound on D'Angelo Russell, and D'Lo was on Pat Beverly's uh, podcast on Barstool Sports, and it's funny. I, I did this after the show as well. You, you do a lot of different stuff on YouTube. I do some stuff on YouTube as well, and I'm reading the comments there, and I've maybe I haven't given D'Angelo Russell fair credit, and I know that. Like I, I know that I'm overly critical on D'Angelo Russell. I can't tell you exactly why, but I, I almost feel like I don't give him when I should be giving him more credit. Maybe I don't do it when I find times to jump all over him. Maybe I'm more apt to do that. Something surprised me with the comments that I was reading from a lot of Laker fans. I felt like a lot of Laker fans were trying to defend D'Angelo Russell. And I felt like a lot of Laker fans, and you did this a little bit as well yesterday yeah. too. And I was interested. I'm like, well, tell me more. What, give me some of the defense for it. And you went into your, no, he was better in the first two rounds and you're giving him credit for. Yes, he was bad against the Denver Nuggets, but um, it's not. I, the lot, a lot of points Laker fans were making was trade deadline came. He had an impact in the regular season. He had a role with the Lakers. He was a part of the turnaround of what the team did. And if my expectations were too high, then you know what? Adjust your expectations. He's not LeBron. He's not Anthony Davis. He's a group of role players that all had their moments in the offseason. And the reason why I... Maybe it's a little surprising for me, but I felt like there were more people trying to say... Laker fans are too harsh on D'Angelo Russell. Would you agree with their sentiment? D'Lo's always been a really polarizing player. From like the moment he entered the league, um, you know, his rookie season with the Lakers, yep. there was the Nick Young Iggy Azalea thing. He's moved around a lot. He's always been one of those guys that is good enough that you can recognize he's talented, but doesn't seem good enough that any team feels has dedicated. him in their long term right, plans. Exactly. I mean, Minnesota the longest. And there was also his contract, which was – I don't think D'Angelo Russell is a $30 million a year player. Yeah. Like, But at the same time, the reason he got that contract in the first place is because Kevin Durant was leaving Golden State and forcing his way to Brooklyn specifically. Golden State wanted to maintain that salary slot – which the eventually, right, it, sign and trade, and it ended up with Andrew Wiggins right. because of that. They eventually flipped D'Lo to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins, but yeah. the only re the only way they could do that would be to give D'Angelo Russell that type of salary because it it had to match Kevin Durant to a certain degree percentage so, wise, so you right, can make the move. Right, yep. exactly. So in certain respects, D'Angelo Russell was in the right place 
at the right time. Like years ago, when the new ownership took over the Dodgers, and I think they were really trying to prove, you know, we these are not Frank McCourt's Dodgers, and we are going to spend. Andre Ethier ended up getting Remember a that. really big deal. Yep. And Ethier was a good player. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think there was a period where Ethier was actually underrated. But this was a contract that was bigger. Just to say the timing was really good. Yeah, the timing yeah. was really good for Ethier. The timing was really good for Russell. But by the time Russell ended up a Laker last season after the deadline, to me, his contract was irrelevant. Like I wasn't judging him as a $30 million deal because A, the Lakers didn't give him that deal, and B, I knew there was no way in hell in free agency the Lakers would be re-signing into that type of deal or anybody would be. Mm-hmm. To me, he was playing at about the level of his new contract now. You know, was he bad against Denver? Yes. And it created a problem. But the truth is, it overshadowed how a lot of guys weren't great against Denver. A lot of guys couldn't make jump shots. Mm -hmm. Dennis Schroeder couldn't make a jump shot. Lonnie Walker couldn't make a jump shot. To be honest, LeBron Mm -hmm. couldn't really make a jumper. Mm -hmm. Anthony like a lot of guys had difficulty making jumpers. D'Lo just, I think, was the most disastrous on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And his problems became loudest. But I think that's in part because D'Lo's the most polarizing. Well, let's put it this way, too. The Lakers did not lose. D'Lo obviously helped nothing in the Nuggets series. But if he had a good series, are they beating the Denver Nuggets? Not likely. I I don't think they are. No. And and the reason why I'm putting it that way is – as somebody who's very critical on D'Angelo Russell, I'm also aware that if D'Lo had a good series, you're still losing to the Denver Nuggets. I believe you are. Maybe, it just, it just maybe, feels maybe those better. Games, on... Maybe those games were close enough where somebody can make an argument. Well, who knows? What if it's 1-1 going back to L.A.? Does that change everything? But if you kept playing the Nuggets, I feel like the Nuggets would have kept winning. Denver had a much larger margin for error, and that became really obvious over the course of the series. I think they were better than the Lakers. If D'Lo had played as well as he did in the first two rounds, does that make the Lakers more competitive? Yeah. Of course. And it makes it more difficult for Jamal Murray if he has to account for D'Angelo Russell on both sides of the ball. Like there, There's a trickle-down effect sure. to all of this, but I think Denver was just better. But D'Angelo Russell, again, has always been a guy – that is polarizing. I think he has a habit of saying things where he's not reading the room well. Yeah, you've said that. He's uh, that's actually that's a good way to describe it, right? Like he's uh, his exit the awareness. Interview. The awareness sometimes is not always there. His exit interview was toned down. We uh, we spend a little more time on D'Lo at around twelve fifteen or so. He talked about. I thought this was interesting. And think about him. He got a chance to play with Kobe. He got a chance to play with LeBron. He talks about the leadership styles, how different it is. We'll do that coming up at twelve fifteen. But coming up next, snake draft, female artists. That's next on the Travis and Sleeva Show, seven ten ESPN. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.